0: You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, award-winning volunteer and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there.
0: Today is August 8th, 2021, and this is episode 131 of Lighthearted. Today we have two guests, and we'll be talking about two spark plug style caisson lighthouses in New York State, Terrytown and Orient Point. So how's your summer going, Michelle?
1: It's going really well. I've been enjoying doing some private tours at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse and just enjoying some nice weather playing in my garden. And how about you, Jeremy? How's your summer going?
0: Good, real good. Staying busy, uh, doing podcasts for one thing, yes. uh, but I've also been doing some private tours at Portsmouth Harbor Light, and those are, those are a lot of fun. Uh, we're doing some Friday evening tours, which I really enjoy.
1: Yeah, I think those are my favorite.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. So uh, as anybody who listens to this podcast on a regular basis probably knows, you're also a teacher. We've certainly mentioned that a number of times, but we haven't really gotten into it. Uh, so uh, when does school start for you?
1: School starts the last Monday of August. So it's coming right out in just a few weeks.
0: Oh, boy. Yep. Is that a good thing?
1: It is a good thing. I'm ready to get back to a normal routine again, I guess.
0: Yeah. So again, uh, our listeners know that you're a teacher, but they don't know what kind of a teacher you are. Can you explain a little bit about what you do?
1: Sure. So I'm not technically a teacher yet. I'm a paraprofessional. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with special education students, but I am in school to get my teaching certification and I just have two classes left. So mm-hmm. next year at this time I will be in a teaching position and I haven't decided if I'm going to stick with special ed or if I'm going to be an English teacher.
0: Okay. So. And this is in middle school.
1: Yes, middle school. Definitely middle yeah, school.
0: That's a good age.
1: Yes, I like that age. The eighth yeah. graders are my, I love that age.
0: Uh huh. Great. Great. So Michelle, has anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history?
1: Well, actually, yesterday's day is one of the most important in lighthouse history. August 7th is considered National Lighthouse Day because on August 7th, 1789, the United States Congress approved an act for, and I quote, the establishment and support of lighthouses, beacons, buoys, and public piers, end quote. August 7th, 1989, the 200th anniversary of our federal lighthouse service, was proclaimed National Lighthouse Day by Congress and President Reagan.
0: Right. Uh, unfortunately, Congress has not declared August 7th as National Lighthouse Day permanently, but many lighthouse organizations around the country do things to celebrate the day.
1: Also, on August 8, 1937, the American actor Dustin Hoffman was born in Los Angeles. He once said, and I quote, There's a rebirth that goes on with us continuously as human beings. I don't understand, personally, how you can be bored. I can understand how you can be depressed, but I just don't understand boredom." End quote.
0: As I mentioned, we're going to talk about two New York Lighthouses today. A little later, we'll be talking about the planned restoration of Terrytown Light on the Hudson River, but our first subject is Orient Point Lighthouse. Michelle, please help me tell everyone about Orient Point Lighthouse and our first guest.
1: Sure, Jeremy. Orient Point Lighthouse is a cast iron, so-called spark plug type lighthouse that was completed in 1899 in a location known as Plum Gut, between Plum Island and Orient Point at the northeastern tip of Long Island, New York.
0: The entire structure was originally painted brown, and in its early days it was locally known as the coffee pot. Today the caisson is black, with the lower portion of the tower painted white and the upper part black. The focal plane of the light is 64 feet above mean high water.
1: Male civilian keepers and later Coast Guard keepers lived inside the lighthouse until its 1958 automation. The Coast Guard considered tearing it down and replacing it with a simple pipe tower, but a public outcry saved the structure and some restoration work was carried out. The old fourth order Fresnel lens was replaced by a modern optic in 1988.
0: In 2011, the property was made available to a suitable new steward under the guidelines of the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act of 2000. There were no suitable applicants, so an online auction was held in the summer of 2012. When the high bidder failed to close within 60 days, another auction was held in 2013. The winner of that auction was Randy Palumbo, an artist and the founder of the New York City echo construction company, Plant.
1: A graduate of the Cooper Union School of Art, Randy Palumbo's work has been exhibited nationally and abroad and is in the collection of the Museum of Old and New Art, or MONA, and many galleries and private collections. His grotto installation at MONA is a sparkling silver room that MONA calls the selfie capital of the museum. He is also known for his lodestar sculptures that have been displayed at places like the Burning Man and Coachella festivals.
0: Over the past few years, he has transformed the interior of the lighthouse into an artist's residency. He's added kitchen and studio space complete with outlets, USB ports, appliances, and a bathroom. He's installed a spinning, glowing sphere on the watchroom gallery of the lighthouse and a colorful grotto inside, which he calls a walk in kaleidoscope.
1: Randy plans to make the lighthouse available for artists, writers, and composers who want to be, I quote, lost at sea for a week or more, end quote.
0: I had the pleasure of speaking with Randy Palumbo recently. Let's listen to that now. I'm speaking today with Randy Palumbo, who uh, is uh, at his home in New York City and is the owner of the Orient Point Lighthouse in New York. First of all, thank you so much for being with me today, Randy. I really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Thank
0: you. What you're doing with this lighthouse is fantastic. I'm really interested in uh, talking to you about it. Let me ask you first. Before you bought this lighthouse, were lighthouses on your radar? I had
2: climbed around in a few and admired them, but not really thought of them in any serious way. The way I wound up at Orient is I was uh, working on an art project that involved scavenging large amounts of giant empty fuel tanks, specifically cylindrical ones with big rivets on them. And I was on a bunch of different government websites late at night trying to find things that were being auctioned off that kind of fit those criteria. And I clicked on something cylindrical and gigantic and rusty and inexpensive. I thought, oh, that's a good one. And it turned out to be the lighthouse. And then I just couldn't stop reading about it. I read a bunch of historic stuff. I read all the condition reports and scary pictures of the rust and the missing chunks. And the starting bid at that point was $5,000. So I sent my check in in the morning and
0: off we went. You are also the owner of a construction company, an echo construction company is described as. Plant. Is that the name of the company?
2: Plant indeed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. I've been building
2: mm -hmm. super high-end residences in New York city for over 30 years. I think it's over 35 now, everything from loft apartments to erecting new penthouses on top of buildings and uh, a lot of old townhouses, sometimes tearing the back off and making kind of futuristic curtain walls up the back and sculptural stairs and elevators, and then keeping some of the old archeological parts as well. It's part of what I love about being in New York, kind of mixing the
0: futuristic and the ancient. What struck you uh, to to bid on the lighthouse? What was the appeal for you?
2: It just got hooked in my unconscious in that way that happens with artists. And I think with regular people, too, where I just kept thinking about it and reading about it. And then I sent my deposit in and went on the tour. And once that happened, I I was kind of sunk. The epic journey over water, the crusty ascent onto the rusty ladder and all of the strange kind of spatial and weird constrictive. And I mean, some of it was really filthy, dirty, like just like stuff hanging in the air from peeling paint to moldy kind of cauliflowers growing off of stuff to dead birds. But then beautiful, you know, afternoon light in the ocean, this kind of incredible sandwich of the most beautiful elemental and the most kind of ratchet gnarly stuff. and um. And then it i just was kind of haunted by it and then it very slowly the way the auctions work you know you could bid on it for months and months if you bid small enough and often enough and i still don't know today if i won because the other guy fell asleep and forgot to add five thousand on at the appointed 23 and a half hour time because we just did that i forget for how many months at one point um and part, partly i figured oh, this is my limit and then oh no that's my limit and I had a couple of friends egging me on and I had some kind of a plan that it was worth doing for, you know, reasons that would hopefully benefit the public and the world down the road. So I, I just stuck with it and here we are.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like your idea of converting it into an artist space was uh, part of the, the vision you had or early on. Is that right?
2: In the beginning... I wasn't entirely clear that anyone would want to stay there because it didn't really seem like they would until two years of scrubbing and sealing with non-toxic soy-based sealers and but once it started to get a little bit cozy and buttoned up then i immediately realized okay this is cool people would easily spend a weekend here maybe a week or two and last summer my first human trial artist spent two weeks and she didn't even leave i figured she would go get a pizza or get some groceries or go on actual ground and go for a run but she did like martial arts on the wraparound balcony and yoga and she only left to go on captain bob's boat and go fishing a couple times for fun
0: wow yeah i uh i was reading about her actually is that erin courier you're talking about yes yeah i was just reading an article uh about her and uh had a picture of her and i showed a beautiful sketch of the lighthouse that she did and she's quoted in the article as saying that you were quote gripped by a higher poetic madness, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> to restore the lighthouse. I thought that was a fantastic quote, so I had to had to mention that. And uh, you know, sometimes I've said this to people before. I think sometimes uh, it takes someone who's maybe a little crazy to uh, to buy a, and restore a lighthouse. Uh, crazy in a good way, though. Crazy in a creative way, I would say. Uh, what do you have to say about that quote, a higher poetic madness? <laughs>
2: that's incredibly kind and generous that's part of the wonder of erin she draws and paints everything a little more beautiful and curious and wonderful than it is and she describes things very generously and people also but i think i think that's true because if i had even listed what i've done already and said okay that's my plan i would have even i would have shaken my head and said that's ridiculous but incrementally just kind of ratcheting up to the next thing. Well, am I going to lug this refrigerator up that ladder? Am I going to bring three big toolboxes and a wind turbine and, you know, whatever. Yeah, that, that'll do. And then it just kept growing and growing and then whatever, a couple of things were on the list. And now, now it's actually cozy in some aspects and people pretty much everyone seems to enjoy it. There've been eight-year-olds up there. There's been an 85 year old up there and it's not that easy to get around today when it has a dock and, a ramp and some other things that will be easier but it's a, a place that you can't help but be inspired and maybe a little agitated by in a good way it's interesting because when i first was reading about it i thought well what's first i'm going to check was there what the ghost and tragedy index is because if you start reading about lighthouses you probably know better than me there's usually a couple unfortunate things that happen even if the people don't have issues the weather the structures It's a high-risk lifestyle being a lighthouse dweller. And the number one cause of death seems to be some version of, I have to get the heck out of here no matter what, and they paddle off in their little dinghy in a squall, or they try to get home for Christmas and when it's you know four degrees out, or a version of kind of cabin fever or claustrophobia or lighthouse phobia. And I think you, conversely, the opposite is true. You can get there and think, wow, this is the best place in the world. There's the ocean in every direction, you can't possibly miss the sunset or the sunrise um you can see who's coming
3: you know? <laughs> right
2: alternately very safe and comforting about it but then there's also something very exposed and kind of crazy and vulnerable about it and that again it's like that sandwich of extremes i don't know where else that exists maybe in outer space or something
0: yeah well that's, that's such a great description i love that and uh yeah i think the uh, an isolated like lighthouse, lighthouse like that though what's what's uh wonderful about it and what's terrible about it is, the, is the isolation it's both uh wonderful and terrible at the same time uh other than Aaron, uh what's the re- response been so far from the artist community and i'm sure before you answer that i'm sure the uh pandemic has obviously played a role in that in the past uh, year and a half i had
2: an amazing an amazing kind of social practice artist who is going to come and mostly write and also um do his, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, his isolation period during the prime pandemic and then he wasn't able to get into the country. So it seemed like it would be a great pandemic workstation for people that need to put in their two weeks without being near anyone. You wouldn't have to check their cell phone or uh, have them fill out the logbook or anything. But um, considering that it hasn't been advertised really in any fashion and it's not really open, I, th- I probably have. 100 people who have expressed interest from scientists to engineers to painters, writers, a composer, some performers and um, everyone. Everyone has is interested in seeing it, which I'm excited about having it just be open to the public some amount of the time. But I'm especially excited about letting people who created things there present them so people can go see what somebody would want to go be stuck at the lighthouse for a week or two weeks making so in my fantasy world Erin would have been able to have a little show if there wasn't a pandemic and people would come out and see what she was working on and ask her questions and we'd have a picnic and i have a friend it's top secret and uh, kind of under development right now but a, an orient local who's taken an interest in it who i think might start bringing people out soon who knows the waterfront and boats and the whole the whole town up and down and uh, i'm excited about again the kind of the mixture of people from far away locals the ancient nautical and then the weird, you know, techno futuristic just created and then mixing it all together. Oh,
0: well, that's really exciting to hear that you're thinking of uh, having tours available uh, because it, I'm sure you know that lighthouses of that type, uh, caisson, so called spark, spark plug type lighthouses, uh, it's very rare to have a chance to tour those. It is still an active to navigation, right? And the Coast Guard aids and navigation team has to visit there. Probably not much more than maybe once a year these days. I imagine it's not real frequent. Is that about right? They might come there once a year to check on things.
2: When I first got it, they still had these 1980s era batteries that were the size of a small refrigerator. And they had to be topped off with a turkey baster every month with distilled water. And they had this elaborate procedure, which was necessary for safety um and then maybe two years ago they switched to a couple of kind of standard truck batteries and they put in a a third illuminator since i've been out there and that one seems to be completely administered from new london there's a a little radio antenna and i think they do everything through a data connection but i guess if they have trouble or they need to they would come out i haven't seen evidence Mm -hmm. of them for a long time but Mm -hmm. they're super neat and they're organized and uh, incredibly competent. So they're wonderful neighbors. Half the time, I couldn't even tell if they had been through and I would just look and make sure their batteries
0: were okay. Have you heard anything from the Coast Guard? Do they have any reaction to the uh, kind of unusual uh, work you've done in the interior of the lighthouse? I'm sure, you know, the AC navigation teams go through a lot of lighthouses and I'm sure they've never seen anything quite like what you've done.
2: <laughs> it's actually been pretty quiet. My favorite, My favorite interaction with them is when I first got out there I got a phone call from Plum Island, from uh, someone out in charge out there. And they said, we, we just called to give you our number and to get your number so that we both have each other's number in case either of us need something in the future, we should have each other's numbers. And I said, wow, I'm really flattered. That's very kind and generous of you because I have a couple buckets, some duct tape, some drinking water with algae in it. And I know you guys have like two hospitals, a couple ferry stations, two lighthouses, a whole fleet of boats. I think they were just being nice in case I got in trouble. and." Uh, uh, they've been super helpful, and they have, I guess there's a lot of other stuff going on around there, so there's there's um, often ac- activity. They mostly haven't had anything to say. At, at one point, they, they asked me to change the lighting on the rotating orb on the top level because they felt like it could be a confusion to navigation. I did that, and then I wound up just turning the lights off because I didn't want to cause any trouble, but to begin with, the only side that was really illuminated was the one pointing back at Orient. So to really see it well, you would have to be in the rocks. The lighthouse was designed to protect you from being stuck on. So I certainly didn't want want to cause any trouble. I I also haven't really done that much work. I mostly fixed things that were broken and, you know, put a table and some odds and ends. But someday when I, I think when the, the structural work begins and then it's a, that'll be a long haul that I guess we'll all be involved in because all the government agencies Way in at different points. Um, I've been working on trying to get a dock and a couple more pilings so it's not so treacherous to drop people off and pick them up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might be a year project just to get permission to put one piling in, but we're working on it.
0: Yeah, good. Speaking of that, and you mentioned a few minutes ago that just uh, going back and forth to a lighthouse like that can be kind of inherently uh, tricky, let's say. Do you have a uh, boating experience?
2: That's something I've actually never attempted to do, and I don't think I will anytime soon. Maybe if I won the lottery and got one of those um, rescue boats that has the rubber skirt around it so that you can't really sink yourself, but the, the riprap, the big rocks that it's sitting on is kind of shaped like a big dinosaur mouth, and then the rocks on the interior, if you look at them from a drone or from the air, it almost looks like the toothsome jaw of a big dinosaur or something,
3: mm. and you
2: can imagine I know someone who does uh, water rescue in Orient, and they rescue a lot of people there that are just looking around, and the the surf or the tide pushes them up in the rocks, and then you know, you could wind up sunk in, in really just seconds there. There's a couple of big rocks that are in the middle where they're not supposed to be, so someday when I get heavy equipment out there, we'll pull those out. Um, I only ever go with Captain Bob Ruchetta, and I met him through the GSA when he, he was giving the tours and taking the bidders out, and he has this kind of large-ish fishing boat for what I would think you would go in there, but he goes in like a ballerina. He has a pretty simple setup with two um, big outboard motors. There's occasionally times when we can't even go at all, but otherwise he always just kind of goes in and then holds it there. Every once in a while we stick a pipe on some rocks or something. But he, he makes it look so easy, I wouldn't want to try. If I sunk there, he would. I don't know if he would rescue me. He probably would <laughs> make fun of me really badly before. Nothing really phases him. One time we were going in kind of bad weather and I really needed to go for some reason. He was going. It was just he and I. Usually he brings a real mate because I'm useless, according to him, which is pretty true. He had this big Batman hook that he often uses to just go on the ladder and then he'd cleat it down. And it had stainless steel prongs the size of my thumb. So he puts the hook on, ties it off, and then a wave came by and it just went thunk and it pulled the stainless steel hook completely straight and it just fell on the deck and wow. i'm thinking like oh wow we're gonna sink the whole world is ending this is it and he just picks up the hook looks at it doesn't say anything throws it again and then goes on about his business and that one stayed on you know <laughs> i guess there's some things you just gain from experience You know.
0: i guess so yeah well, I'm uh, kind of in the, the same boat, so to speak, as far people are surprised when they, I, I spend so much time at lighthouses, they're surprised when they find out I don't have a boat. I'm not, I don't drive a boat or anything like that. I'll, I let uh, people who are, have much more experience at that do it for me. It's much safer that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That area outside of Plum Gut too, it's yeah. funny. I know I know people from Orient that kayak and skull and paddleboard there, but you see little boats going by, and there there's this kind of plume of water that looks like a unicorn horn going to Connecticut, where I guess the Plum Island and the, the sound come together, and the current is so strong. They say that if you're hip-wading, fishing from Orient, and you fall in, you wind up in Connecticut in five or ten minutes, usually not alive, and you see these little boats with the nose up in the air kind of going flat out, going backwards, because they're in one of the areas where the current is going mm-hmm. faster than they could even go, so I'm not sure what they do, but eventually they get back to somewhere. But yeah, it's not an area where I would mess around. I, yeah, my friends come there and talk about swimming, we always joke about the leg irons because it's definitely not a swim spot.
0: Yeah, no, it's a notoriously uh, tricky, dangerous area. You mentioned a few minutes ago the, the lighted sphere that's installed to the top of the lighthouse. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what that is and why you decided to install it on the lighthouse?
2: I think of that orb as kind of akin to a planet, or a planetary model. And for a long time, I've been making these kind of lumpy crystal and hand silvered glass balls that are very organic, covered with reflective beads like you often see in the paint in the highway or at airports and other reflective things. And then I put them together into kind of a composition and often put everything from a a lighting sequence to a, a musical thing that kind of all goes together. But I'm calling that one the Oracle of plum gut, because it, it's kind of like the, an all-seeing eye of sorts sometimes. And, and what I'm interested in is there's this, uh, you know, completely binary digital on-off work and safety light up top. And then there's my, my light, which is also when it was illuminated, was illuminated with a bunch of different light sources, constantly changing color, dimming. It really could never have been mistaken for a navigational aid because it didn't stay the same color for longer than half a second. But they're kind of the... The opposite one is, um, what could you say, that it's kind of past and future, organic, digital, conscious and unconscious. And it makes this kind of irresistible conversation when you watch it, when at dusk, in the middle of the night, it seems like they're responding to each other. And I think they both, they're both they both beautiful and provocative in their own right. And together it becomes something really weird in a good way. That's what I had told myself and we loved the six-foot ball up there on ropes and uh, hung it up.
0: <laughs> wow. Kind of like when they first installed uh, the old uh, glass Fresnel lenses in these lighthouses. So it was quite an operation, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That must have really been a staging nightmare because those probably break if you even look at them, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. One of the uh, things that that's, uh, I think, uh, been so important to lighthouse restoration in so many cases is the idea of repurposing lighthouses. Some of them are... B&B, some are restaurants. Your adaptation of Orient Point Lighthouse into an artist's space or studio is, is uh, I think, a really creative example of repurposing. I'm wondering, is the idea that that, that in itself will generate some income to go into the, the maintenance of the lighthouse, or is that not a concern, or how does that figure into this?
2: I mean, in the bootstrap way that I've been doing it so far I haven't been that worried about it because I've just been proceeding with work at a pace that I can manage and then hosting the small amount of humans I have again at a pace where I can go carry the water myself and stock the refrigerator myself and make sure that everything is good but the in the big picture my not-for-profit art residency is designed to make the lighthouse even more expensive and unwieldy to take care of But hopefully in a way that patrons and concerned citizens find compelling and will support so I'm imagining a board and a curatorial team and maybe an annual fundraising event and some other small things. So I really want it to be a situation where it's accessible and anybody who has a project they want to do that whoever's deciding decides hey we want this person to be hosted. That they get plane tickets and groceries and a boat ride and whatever else they need so they can just come and create whatever magic in this enchanted place mm-hmm. i wanted to say part of what gave me the idea is early in my art career when i was mostly working intensively in the construction business and being a young parent in new york i went to a place called Yado in upstate new york that's in this incredible kind of a uh, Group of of mansions and stables and libraries and Tiffany windows and amazing kind of monumental gardens where they you know take people from all different disciplines and they feed you and give you a place to work and pack your little lunch bag and everything is free when you get there so you can go into this really deep dive of focusing on um, what you want to do and I I did one other thing where you're given a ranger station in Joshua Tree National Park for a month. And I did that for two months of May, which I later found out mostly nobody wanted to go in May because it's too hot. So maybe I wouldn't have gotten in otherwise. But both of those moments really changed my life. So I feel like it's my responsibility and also my pleasure to pass it on.
0: Yeah, well, that sounds like a great uh, way of looking at it all. I hope you're successful at that. I think you will be. Does the uh, lighthouse at this point require a lot more restoration? And part two of that question is, are you uh, well, you just said a bit about uh, the way you're uh, planning to go about funding, but uh, are you looking for funding specifically for for specific preservation projects at this time? Or is there something that uh, needs doing ASAP?
2: Yes, every lighthouse needs continual maintenance, and this one has significant structural repairs in its future. Brackets and plates making up the original caisson are rusted and in some cases delaminating and expanding. This pushes everything else around, like a missing tooth or something, but the walls are over a foot thick, and the cast iron is over three inches thick, so it's not going anywhere anytime soon. There's numerous scary sights if you poke around with your ice pick and your uh, very bright flashlight. I've had a couple of engineers through, and I have kind of a rough plan for structural stabilization and for some immediate work I'd like to do. I found out an interesting fact. I'm curious if if you can corroborate this, that in 1899, when the lighthouse was built, that almost immediately, supposedly it pitched about five degrees. So when I first saw it, I thought, oh dear, it's coming down slowly and maybe mm. 150 years. It will lay down in the water if no one stops it. But I think it just shifted and rumbled around a little bit and then mostly stopped. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it hasn't moved in the six, seven years I've had it. Um, it's ironic because that means that it's, never really been the plum light, it's been the out of plum light of plum gut. (laughs) Um, There's also an issue of having a chunk of the actual coffee pot missing, the iron caisson, which I'm not sure I fully understand even being a builder as my day job. I think they erected the caisson in pieces and then they infilled with brick, is that right?
0: Um, Concrete and rocks. And it's not unusual for that type of a lighthouse to develop a list. Uh, I know uh, Lubeck Channel Light in Maine, for one, definitely has a list. There's uh, other examples. Uh, there's one in Chesapeake Bay that uh, maybe you've seen pictures is almost it's like the leaning lighthouse of uh, Pisa or something. It's really, really far over. But uh, as you said, hopefully it's it settled early in its history and hasn't moved since then, I hope.
2: Yeah, when you think about the large amounts of weight involved, I guess the only thing that's really frightening is the power of the ocean. Because so I've noticed since I've been coming out, there's rocks bigger than a car that are moving all the time. But I guess it also is about time scale. Like if you think about it, sand is bigger rocks that ground down, you know, over really long periods of time. So if you sped up our lives to like a hundred times how fast they're going. We would be like a fly that went by in a day and you could see rocks turning into sand and other things changing. Yeah, the ocean is a—it's quite formidable. Um, so anyway, eventually I want to figure out this caisson situation. The Coast Guard did one repair where they built kind of an extra radius of pieces of steel and then they poured a little bit of concrete but that was actually deemed a failure right in the condition report when I bid on it. So I knew that wasn't necessarily going to help it. but then I also have questions as a practical bootstrap carpenter kind of guy, if, you know, maybe it would be better if it didn't have a chunk missing, but is it really going to go anywhere? I, I doubt it. I wish they had Rust-Oleum back in the day or other things like that. I think I'm actually more worried about the rust between some of the plates where it's hard to get at. Yeah. I think with, um, you know, the right engineer and hopefully some volunteers and, and uh, some experts that... I think it should be able to be stabilized so it's around forever because it seems to me to be incredibly overbuilt. And the issues are, are pretty minor if they're arrested in some reasonable amount of time.
0: So you mentioned volunteers a second ago. Are you Do you have volunteers uh, and or are you looking for volunteers to help out with uh, various projects? I don't have any organized
2: call for a specific project at this moment, but it's such a black hole of labor of different sorts. If anybody is interested, I would love to hear from them. And then I'll reach out when I'm ready to do a project. Mm-hmm. Some of it is so dangerous and particular, it really can only be done by specialized people. But there's a lot of kind of elbow grease projects that it always needs. And I often wind up doing those with a couple of friends. Um, mm-hmm.
0: It's not a bad, a bad
2: place to work if one must work.
0: Well, let me ask you, that makes me think of a question. Uh, I don't really know how much time you've spent out there yourself. Have you spent extended periods of time out there?
2: If I added all the days together, I might have three, four weeks now. Mm-hmm. So my my record, I think, is four days. i love to go there for a, a day or two. If I had nothing else to do, I think I would stay for longer, but I'm a parent and pretty busy at, at work of different sorts. Um, but it. It's magical and it kind of slows you down in a way so that once you get into the groove, I imagine maybe if you had to stay there and you couldn't go home and see your family and maybe it would feel oppressive. But if it's a lifestyle choice, it's a a lovely and luscious one.
0: Oh yeah, for a lot of people, it's, uh, it's ideal really, that kind of thing. I've read some articles about you and your work. Your work as an artist and I understand there's something called a grotto installation at the Museum of Old and New Art known as Mona, M-O-N-A, and uh, I understand you've also put kind of a grotto installation in the lighthouse. Can you explain what that is all about? I'm
2: excited about letting people know about my grotto. It'll be um, amazing for people to come visit and see what the latest resident made, and they can Mm -hmm. also spend some time in the grotto, and there's this interesting thing that happens I think when you're traveling the spiral up the stairs you almost feel like you're traveling through time and it has this kind of geological element because there's always things oozing out of fissures in the wall and you just feel very close to kind of this simple elemental experience and then when you get into the grotto and the reflection of the water is on the polished metal ceiling and the planets are spinning Mm. and the sky is outside the round windows it's this incredible disorienting. Kind of feast that I should be more modest, but that's my my favorite moment there is to sit there and see this combination of what was already the most amazing room in the lighthouse, and then my, you know, homespun riff on kind of the cosmos on the ceiling ab- above. I think it'll be a, a really um, nourishing and provocative lighthouse tour. So there'll always be something new because whoever was last there hopefully will present something or leave something behind. And then people that just want to see the lighthouse can see the lighthouse not fixed up, not turned into a bed and breakfast. And then the grotto is this kind of weird, surreal experience. And and then up one from there is the actual light. So it's this great journey through different levels. Maybe it's like the opposite of uh, Dante's uh, descent into the inferno, but going towards the light. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Huh. So I have one final question for you. And of course this one is for bonus points. So I hope you've got your number two pencil sharpened and ready. What has been your favorite thing about owning a lighthouse?
2: There's something about the lighthouse that feels almost like a camera with a weird surreal lens. Feelings, sensory moments, even chronology are kind of warped and exaggerated at the lighthouse. This um, acceleration is something I strive for in my immersive sculptural work. And how lucky to have it built into this incredible structure also I especially love people's reaction to my polished aluminum and glass grotto that I created for the site. The combination of archaeological shell rusty portholes and elements with techno organic profusions of flowers and surreal reflections is especially synergistic. The grotto might appear to aliens in the future to be the lighthouses response to my invasion of this aged and powerful space not unlike a pearl or mother of pearl coating arising from some crunches of sand in a giant oyster
0: wow i enjoy the way you uh put things as an artist you know as i said earlier i think sometimes it takes a little bit of uh kind of an offbeat personality to, to do this <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing you have it in a, in a great way and uh i love seeing creativity uh go into these places it's just uh it's just a wonderful thing when you start doing tours Please put me down for the first tour. I can't uh, wait to, to see the place. I'd love to, sh- to show you if you're in the hood. Thank you so much for being with me today. This is a, a, just a great project and I love hearing about it. And as I said, it's, it's, it's just uh, refreshing to have somebody as creative as yourself involved with a historic lighthouse like that. And uh, I've seen Orient Point Lighthouse from boats a number of times. Can't wait to see it inside. But thank you again, Randy, so much.
2: Thank you for your interest and all your great questions. Come on over.
1: You can learn more about Randy Palumbo and his work at palumbo.com. That's P-O-L-U-M-B-O.com. And you can learn about Randy's company, Plant, at plantnyc.net. That's p l a n t. NYC.net.
0: It was really interesting speaking with Randy Palumbo. I love hearing about creative repurposing of lighthouses. So next, we're going to talk about Terrytown Light on the Hudson River in New York.
1: The Terrytown Lighthouse went into service on October 1st, 1883, about 20 miles north of New York City on the east shore of the Hudson River. It's a cast iron caisson structure with four stories inside and a light 56 feet above mean high water. Inside the watch room was automatic striking machinery for a fog bell, which was mounted on the side of the tower.
0: The first keeper, Jacob Ackerman, remained at the station for 21 years. Ackerman and his wife Henrietta had no children, so they kept chickens in a spare bedroom. The Ackermans spent their 50th wedding anniversary in the lighthouse trapped by ice floes. When he retired at the age of 78, it was estimated that Ackerman had saved 19 people from drowning.
1: The Tappan Zee Bridge, spanning the Hudson River at its widest point, was completed in 1955. The bridge, with powerful lights and a foghorn on its center span, rendered the lighthouse virtually obsolete. After years of abandonment, the lighthouse was acquired by Westchester County at the urging of community groups and historical societies. After some renovation, it was open to the public in 1983.
0: The lighthouse has again fallen into disrepair in recent years, but Westchester County recently announced a major restoration project. Westchester County is led by County Executive George Latimer, who took office in January 2018 as the ninth county executive. I had the pleasure of speaking with George Latimer a couple of weeks ago about the upcoming restoration. Let's listen to that now. I'm speaking today with George Latimer, who is the county executive for Westchester County in New York. And we're going to be talking about some exciting new plans for Terrytown Lighthouse. Thank you so much for joining me today, George. I really appreciate it.
4: Pleasure to be with you, Jerry.
0: Uh, first of all, let me ask you uh, I know it primarily as Terrytown Lighthouse, but I've also seen it referred to as Sleepy Hollow Lighthouse. I don't know if One or the other, you consider one more correct than the other. But what do most people refer to the lighthouse as, do you think?
4: Usually as the lighthouse, um, (laughs) you know, this is where you'll get your master's degree in local government uh, once I finish the explanation, because a lot of these things are based on jurisdictions that people don't really think in terms of every day. There are two villages that sit side by side, Tarrytown and Sleepy Hollow. Uh, A number of years ago, Sleepy Hollow's original name was North Tarrytown, Tarrytown and North Tarrytown. Mm-hmm. And North Tarrytown changed their name to Sleepy Hollow because it was the location of the uh, where the Ichabod Crane story was placed. Yeah. And the high school mascot is the Headless Horseman and all that. So uh, the park itself that the lighthouse sits in and the lighthouse itself sits in Sleepy Hollow.
3: Mm-hmm. But
4: because it was North Tarrytown, it's on the border, the, the Tarrytown, uh, Sleepy Hollow border is right there. Um, it was always referred to as Tarrytown historically. Right now, we're not going to rename the lighthouse. We're going to fix it. But the the logic of uh, tying it into that Ichabod Crane Sleepy Hollow image of that community makes a lot of sense for tourist purposes. I don't think people are going to come from miles around to see this lighthouse as they might Barnegat or uh, the one on Hilton Head or some of the other great lighthouses. But uh, you know, to tie in with other features that are there, we have some historic homesteads in the area. We have um, the old Dutch church, the uh, Rockefeller estate, Kaikat is not far. So, if somebody came to spend a day, see a few sites, have lunch, perhaps the lighthouse would be part of their visit.
0: Sure, that all makes a lot of sense. I'm sure uh, most, if not all, our listeners are quite familiar with the Sleepy Hollow stories, Washington Irving, Ichabod Crane. They're certainly a great part of uh, Americana, American literature. So recently, just in the last couple of weeks, uh, you announced a pretty uh, substantial plan to rehabilitate the Terrytown or Sleepy Hollow Lighthouse. Can you tell me what the basic plans are uh, for that rehabilitation sure. project?
4: Yeah. Well, let me start by saying that the lighthouse really has been neglected for a long period of time. I've been in office three and a half years and we inherited what we think would be a number of different important public facilities that should have been and could have been renovated and were not. Some of them needed um, work uh, in a more dire straits. Historic homestead, the Miller House, uh, would collapse if we didn't do it. The lighthouse had enough structural stability to survive a little bit. So what we've announced now is to try to pick up after all of these years of neglect. Uh, It is officially a $3.4 million project. And uh, it really intends to stabilize the structure and stop further deterioration and then make it available for visitors to go in it and see it, walk to the top and all that. Mm-hmm. The work that has to be done is almost this normal grocery list for any old structure that has been neglected. So we have to repair and repaint a host of different things, the windows and doors. There are cracks in the cellar and in the caisson area. We have to replace the caisson cracks with stitch plates. Mm-hmm. We have to clean the foundation masonry, restore interior plaster, uh, restoration of the wood floors, uh, reconstruction of the landing area between the bridgeway and the gangway, the bridge and the gangway, which gets you in. Have to put a new security gate on the mainland side of this. And of course, electric and exterior lighting. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, a heavy duty grocery list. There's exterior cast iron and that's essential to fix as well. So it is a, uh, it's not a um, expansion of the building. It is not sort of repurposing it in a different way but it's bringing it back to a normal, good quality. You could walk inside, walk through it, have lighting, have, you know, the integrity of the walls and all those things in place.
0: That sounds great. A lot of those things are things that happen pretty commonly with on right. lighthouses, cast iron lighthouses, like problems with the on cracks and things like that. So I'm not surprised to hear uh, uh, the laundry list or whatever that you're, you're talking about.
4: You know, as we do the project, anything can happen. And, um, uh, Construction projects like this may uncover additional needs, additional problems. Uh, you yeah. find that I think the political will exists to spend a bit more if necessary. We don't want to spend it to spend it. But if there is a need to go beyond the $3.4 I believe there is a desire to do what it takes to get it fixed.
0: About how long is the project expected to take?
4: Well, if we get the benefit of good weather and, you know, and who can predict that, uh, we would open it Roughly 12 months from the construction start, and the construction start would come sometime between now and the end of the year. So, if you want a hard opening date, I'd say you know the end of 2022. Now, any of the exterior work is going to be done in good weather. We have good weather now, and we'll have good weather next spring and summer, which is still part of the construction cycle of this. Um, If we get to the the fall a year from now, uh, then whatever interior work has to be done could be done. Uh, without worrying about the season or the weather. But mm-hmm. weather permitting, end of 2022, you know, year and a half, a little less than a year and a half worth of work. That would be my guess.
0: When you talk about opening, are you talking about increased public access to the lighthouse?
4: Yeah, we're, we're going to encourage tourism. And as, as I mentioned a second ago, uh, there's a lot of things in this immediate area that represent tie-ins. They're a little bit different purposes, but i mentioned there's historic homesteads, Phillipsburg Manor, is part of the historic Hudson Valley um, sites that are there. It's not not too far away from this. Uh, we have the old Dutch church, uh, which is, um, you know, and that was referenced, I think, in the Ichabod Crane story. It's a beautiful building, beautiful stained glass. We're not far from the uh, Rockefeller Estate of Kaikat and the Rockefeller State Park that's around that. So you definitely want to visit that if you came here. Behind you, you have uh, the new bridge that's been constructed across the Hudson to replace the old Tappan Zee Bridge. It's a pretty impressive bridge, uh, the Cuomo Bridge, and you know that bridge has a uh, has a, a walkway along the side that's very modernized, bicyclists and people who want a good, healthy, long walk and do that. So that's nearby. We still have a project ahead of us, and that is to continue to work on completing the River Walk along the Hudson River. Ultimately, our plans it's going to extend longer than I'm in office, uh, but uh, would be to create a path that you could start out on the Bronx border and walk the full north-south distance along the Hudson River. Parts of it are in place, parts of it are not. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be working on trying to do the engineering studies for the portion that goes under the bridge, because we're going to have to extend out over the river to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when that's done, this you know the, the walking path or the bicycling path, whatever, however people use it, it's going to go right past the lighthouse. So we expect a lot of tourism. We want people to go in, walk around. And you know we haven't yet figured out you know all of the little accoutrements that will go with it. Uh, but, you know, we're excited that this is yet another part of our tradition of, uh, of this county that we're reclaiming.
0: I look forward to visiting there when the uh, lighthouse restoration is done and some of this other work takes place. I was last there in 2008, so things have changed quite a bit, including the, the new bridge and everything. So really look forward to, to seeing uh, all the improvements. So why do you think this project is important to the uh, community there, Terrytown and the county, Westchester County?
4: There's a couple of levels, uh, the first level, the one I think we've already talked about, which is it is a, a a generator of tourism, not necessarily as the sole destination in the area but as an added destination an added feature to see, and that will help us attract tourism so on that level of it it's good on the second level of it, I think it's capturing a portion of our past when you know these these lighthouses existed everywhere uh, it was a part of the You know, the Hudson River being the main source of transportation in the colonial era that that took you into the inland and ultimately would have became connected in part of the Erie Canal system. It became a a reason why the whole interior of the United States of America grew, because once you connected the Atlantic Ocean to the Great Lakes, now you're halfway through the United States and you can bring product, you know, from uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin all the way through and, and bring it through the New York Harbor. And this was a lighthouse that existed as part of that uh, safety process. So you're, you're touching, in addition to something that, that has a, um, an iconic status for us, it's really something of history as well. And, and I think we're proud of that history. And then also the Kingsland Point Park, which wraps around it, and the new uh, complex that's going up for uh, townhouses nearby, uh, this enhances the value of that. And I suspect you know, people who look to move to Westchester do so looking for added value. And added value in sort of intangibles, things that represent creating a, an ambience that makes them want to live there. And this lighthouse, we think, has that feature. We, we, we're all kind of in love with the concept of the lighthouse here. We've got a lot of wonderful things in Westchester County, but we also have a lighthouse. And even though it's not, you know, the huge size that you know some of them are, uh, we think it's a good attraction and we think it's worth the investment.
0: It's a wonderful community. I really enjoyed my, my visit there. And I'm glad you kind of uh, give a, a brief explanation of the navigational importance of the Hudson River. Uh, so, so vital to the history of our country. And of course, the lighthouses are an important part of that. Any points that you think we haven't talked about that maybe we should?
4: Well, I, what I want to do, Jeremy, is compliment you. Your interest and your devotion to these lighthouses uh, in and of themselves, they're interesting um, physical structures, but they also speak to something about, you know, the American history and the American experience. And mm-hmm. we've tried in our administration, we have one lighthouse, we have a lot of other types of things. We've tried to reconnect with that tradition. And we think that's that's part of why we have the country we have. I think you have to recognize the past and you have to acknowledge it and you have to respect it. And taking a perfectly functional lighthouse and restoring it to a, um, a level by which people can, can come in and see it and remember what it was like you know, once upon a time when this was what was uh, guiding us uh, on, the, on the transportation corridor, which was the Hudson River. All of that is, is important. These, are, these things were bequeathed to us, those of us in office today, those of us who live in Westchester today. Mm-hmm. These, these good things were bequeathed to us by our grandparents and our great grandparents, and we show them honor and respect. When we restore them. There's a sense that, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, crystallize or liquefy whatever resources I have now and live the best life I could live now in the lowest taxes and the most advantages. But we've got to we've got to protect things for the future. There's yeah. got to be a little kid born now that will grow up to maturity to be able to see that lighthouse and learn how to connect with the past of this nation. Otherwise, if we don't connect to the past of this nation, we lose our traditions. Uh, We lose all rooting and and everything becomes the here and now of the moment. And uh, we've got to fight hard to try to protect our connection to that past.
0: Beautifully said. I can't improve on that. (laughs) You, uh, you summed it up really nicely there, the uh, historical importance uh, of the lighthouse and all historic structures uh, anywhere, really. George Latimer, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me today. And I want to wish you the best with the upcoming restoration of the Tarrytown Lighthouse. And uh, again, it's a beautiful community around there. Uh, the larger uh, county area is just a, a really nice place to visit. And I, I recommend to, a, to our listeners that they check it out, maybe wait till the lighthouse restoration is done or not. But um, it's going to be exciting when you increase uh, public access and open up that lighthouse too. Really looking forward Jeremy, to I,
4: want, I, don't, I don't know where you call home, but if you can make a commitment, when we do the grand uh, opening of this lighthouse, when it's fully done, we cut the ribbon. I like you there. I'd like you to be a part of it. And I'd like you to be one of the first people to say, I saw the renovated lighthouse. So wow. I don't know if you can make that commitment to do, do your best. <laughs> I will absolutely do my
0: best. I'm in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, so I'm not well, exactly real close, trip. but yeah, well, yeah, right yeah depending on to you.
4: I live in Rye, only I live in Rye, New York, not Rye, New Hampshire. So.
0: Oh, okay. Right, right. Yeah. When I think of Rye, I think of Rye, New Hampshire, but I've certainly been through Rye, New York, too. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much, George. And I I wish you all the best with this project.
4: And best to you, too. Thanks for uh, giving us a chance to talk about our lighthouse.
1: To learn more about all the things to see in Westchester County, New York, go to visitwestchesterny.com.
0: I'm really hoping I can take George up on his invitation and be there for the rededication of the Terrytown Lighthouse. It's been too long since I've been in that area.
1: Thanks again to our guests, Randy Palumbo and George Latimer. And thanks to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society around this country and the world. To learn more about the society, check out uslhs.org. Remember that donations and memberships support this podcast.
0: I just want to mention that we are recording at the famous Bluefish Boulevard recording studios here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, which doubles as my home, and as we've been recording, we've got some crows uh, cawing outside, it's raining a bit, we've got a plane flying over, so it hasn't been the quietest afternoon, I don't know if any of that's coming through the mic, but uh, it's uh, still nice to be recording in person rather than uh, using... Zoom or Zencastr or the other ways we've been recording over the past year or so. And Michelle, remember early on we used to record at the uh, the study rooms at the Portsmouth Public Library.
1: Yep, was- I do remember that. It was very quiet there. It was a little a little too quiet, I think, but.
0: Kind of stark, but uh, you yeah. didn't have crows cawing or and all this other stuff. But hmm. anyway, hopefully it's not uh, coming through the mics too much here. So a big thanks to everyone out there who's involved with the preservation of lighthouses or any kind of history. We are all on the same team.
1: The American fencer and Olympic medalist Peter Westbrook once said, and I quote, so much of our future lies in preserving our past, end quote.
0: In next week's episode, we'll be talking about the Currituck Beach Lighthouse on the Outer Banks in North Carolina. As always, thanks for listening and
1: keep a good light. I'm gonna-